0: Welcome to the Ladies of LifeSite. We're ladies simply navigating the challenges and triumphs of this modern culture as moms, wives, sisters, and daughters. Join us each week as we discuss the raw questions and situations that we face through the lens of faith and freedom. So grab your cup of coffee, tea, or beverage of choice, and let's dive into this week's episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Ladies of Site. I'm Lisa, and I'm joined by my co-host, Rebecca, this week, and we have two very special guests today, David and Margaret B. Wright. Though they're both now empty nesters, Margaret was a stay-at-home mom for years, and David has had his hand in a variety of ministries in the pro-life movement, including founding the organization 40 Days for Life. They're both now involved with an incredible ministry in Virginia called Mary Shelter, among many other things, but Mary Shelter provides housing for women in crisis pregnancies, I have worked with David in a variety of capacities in the pro-life movement over the years, so we're just thrilled to talk with both David and Margaret on the topic of generosity today. We also incorporate marriage, serving others, putting our faith into action, all of the things. They both share their story and their hearts for generosity, and I really don't want to spoil too much of it for you just yet because I do want you to listen to this one all the way through, but I do want to share a few key pieces of our conversation before we dive in. David makes the point that to whom much is given, much is required. And as Christians, our hearts for generosity, it really is just that. It really and truly is our faith in action, but it requires each of us to reflect on the blessings that God has given us and ask God what he wants us to do with what he has given us. So David and Margaret share some ways that they have incorporated generosity into their family's day-to-day routines. They give some practical tips on how to live out generosity, and they also leave us with some very inspiring and uplifting words of encouragement that really every single one of us can take to heart. As we celebrate the season of Advent and prepare our hearts for Christmas, it's this time of year that causes us to reflect on Jesus' birth and Mary's ultimate yes, and it was her yes to God, her willingness to give of herself, her time, and everything about how she was as a woman for God's greater glory. It was through Mary's yes that our Savior was born. If you're a mother listening to this episode, I want you to take some time during Advent to reflect on Mary's yes. Her answer was simple, but so powerful. It was an incredibly generous gift to the world. Christ first exemplified generosity in the manger. He was willing to become man so that we could have eternal life with him. This humility and grace encompass the greatest gift ever given, and it encapsulates the true meaning of Christmas. This understanding should birth generosity in our hearts and inform everything that we do as Christians when we put our faith into action every single day. Before we dive into this episode, I do want to let you know that LifeSite News just kicked off our end-of-year Christmas campaign fundraiser. So as we discuss the topic of generosity and giving of our time, talent, and treasure, I want to encourage you to consider a gift of support to help us reach our goals so that we can continue to provide the news that you and your families rely on 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. So you can go to give.lifesitenews.com to donate. I hope you all will enjoy this episode. It really is such an inspiring conversation, and I pray that it blesses each and every one of you. So without further ado, let's welcome David and Margaret. Well, thank you so much, David and Margaret, for joining us today. We are just so thrilled to have both of you today to talk about generosity. And as we're in this season of Advent and preparing for Christmas and preparing our hearts, we're just so blessed to have you today. Thank you for coming on.
1: Oh, we are so thrilled to be here. Yes.
0: Thank you so much for having us. Well, absolutely. So I would love to just start talking about both of you actually being husband and wife. And just as we kind of get into this, dive into this topic of generosity, I first want to dive into your story. What is kind of the story of how you met and perhaps there have been some moments where generosity played into that and possibly even where your faith really came together with that. So could you share a little bit of your story?
2: When David and I were young, <laughs> we went to college at Texas A&M University, and we were both really involved on campus in student activities. So we, there was one specific activity it was called Fish Camp. It was like an orientation camp for incoming freshmen, and David and I were both on the leadership teams for those uh, camps. And we through that, we had the same group of friends, like big group of friends. So we knew of one another, and, you know, I thought he was really cute and, <laughs> and so nice and sweet. And so there was this mutual friend of ours in this group named Craig. And so, uh, yeah, so I went up to Craig one day, and and I asked him about David.
1: <laughs> well, what she apparently asked him was she said, I want, I want David B. Wright to go out on a date with me. And Craig said, oh, well, I'm I'm friends with David and, and I could tell him. And she said, OK, please do. And he said, well, I won't mention that you suggested that I ask him this. And she said, oh, no, go ahead and tell him. Tell him that I want him to ask me out on a date. So in hindsight, we realized that the word for Margaret at that point in life was not aggressive, but assertive. Margaret was very assertive. So when Craig comes to me and he says, hey, I know somebody who wants you to ask her out on a date. And I have to tell you, that was the first time and the last time in my life I ever heard those words said in that way to me. And then when he said who it was, he said, it's Margaret. Her maiden name was Hefner. I could not believe it because Margaret was this super popular girl on campus involved in leadership and everything. And she was way out of my league and so much more beautiful. I mean, just I I was just in awe. And I said, there's no way she would want me to ask her out on a date. And he says, oh, yes, she actually wanted me to to tell you this. And so I then later that day saw Margaret at a meeting and I asked her out to lunch. We went to lunch together. And here's where the faith journey started to come together. While we were having lunch on our first date, Margaret starts to share with me her love for her lifelong Catholic faith. And she's sharing how much she loves being a Catholic. I was raised Protestant in the Presbyterian church, but I was always fascinated. My Boy Scout troop growing up had been sponsored by a Catholic parish. So I'd had a little bit of experience with Catholics, but of course there's this beautiful girl sitting across the table from me having lunch and she's saying how much she loves being Catholic. And then here's the kicker. She said, in fact, if you'd like, you could go to mass with me this coming Sunday. Now, I'm no idiot. This beautiful girl said yes to a first date, and she just opened the window of opportunity for what would be a second time to be together. So I said, absolutely, yes. (laughs) And so we went to Mass together that Sunday, and we've gone to Mass together ever since, even for the 28 years that I was not a Catholic. So that's how we began a relationship. We dated for, what was it, about two and a half years And then we're engaged for six months, and then we got married. And we've been married now 29 years and a few months, and we're more in love than the day that we said I do. And I absolutely love spending every moment I possibly can with this amazing woman who I am blessed to have as a wife.
2: And I will say that one of the things that I was attracted to about David, there were many things, (laughs) but one of the things, and it's so great that this is our topic today, Lisa, is how, what a generous heart he has. Like, I saw that immediately. David has always been this way just very selfless just thinking of others before himself and and helping like I remember in college even you know just anyone who came to him saying could you help me with with the way you're studying or can you help me with my computer or whatever it was and wherever his gifts are because he has so many gifts he has always used his gifts to help others and that was definitely the case when I first met him and and it has been always so that was something I was
0: really attracted to. This is just so encouraging. I just love hearing you guys are so cute. <laughs> I just love hearing your story. And yeah, it's just amazing. So David, after, you know, you were not Catholic for 28 years of your marriage, like you said, and I would love to hear Margaret from you actually. on what was that like for you? Can you offer any encouragement or advice maybe for our listeners who might be in the same place?
2: Yes. So at times, of course, it was challenging at times and and difficult at times. But we have always tried, when we were doing our marriage prep, the priest that was doing our marriage prep with us, he told us something that has stuck with us this whole, you know, we've been married now close to 30 years, and something that we share with couples that, you know, have different faiths, faith backgrounds. And he said to us, celebrate your similarities and respect your differences celebrate your similarities and respect your differences and that was beautiful and it really encouraging to us so that we begin to look at it and say hey yeah you know there are a lot of things we have in common that we had never thought about before but when we really started talking about it we realize that, so and, and you know it's interesting because we have a friends that when they first were dating and when they first got married, they were both they're both Catholic, but one of them, her family, you know daily they went to daily mass, they celebrated liturgical year in their homes. I mean, they really tried to live the domestic church. And the other one, his, they went to mass on you know on Christmas and Easter. <laughs> so when they came together as a couple they had a lot they had to discuss too, right? Even though they were both Catholic, the way they lived it out was very different. So, so David and I realized, yeah, you know, we do have differences. We have some very, very much big differences, but we have so much in common. And we try to focus on that. And the other thing I would say that God gave me the grace to do this is um, that, yes, I wanted David to be Catholic, right? But I had to be patient. And I had to realize that this was on God's time and not my time. And that if I was pushy or always talking to him about it and nagging him about it, that was just going to push him away from the faith. So the kids and I tried to, tried to, of course, we're not perfect. We failed, but we tried to live our Catholic Christian faith, you know, and, and that he saw that and, and, you know, of course living together all those years. So that was important, I think. And, and, um, yeah. And so the other thing I would, I would say is just don't give up hope and know that it's not, it's not maybe going to be on your timing. For example. It's got because we, I think this is a huge trust thing, trusting in God, right? Uh, and you know, God can never be outdone in his generosity, right? And even when we, we don't understand the timing, but when our children were little, I prayed so hard, like when they were preparing for their first communion, I prayed so, so hard. And I was like, Lord, you know, my dream and my wish is that when, like, when our daughter Claire, when she received her first communion, that David would receive his first communion, you know, at the same time she did. And then when our son Patrick, but he didn't, and when then when Patrick received his first communion, I had been praying, praying, praying for so long. Please, Lord, let David come into the, you know come to church and receive his first communion with Patrick, and that didn't happen, you know. And I remember on Patrick's first communion day being very bittersweet for me. I remember and during the party going into our bathroom and. This was after his first communion. and everyone was at our house and I went to the bathroom. I closed the door and I I, I sat there and cried a little bit. And I was like, "Okay, Lord, I need to trust you, right? Jesus, I trust in you." But then when David came into the church, it was so perfect. I could not I can never ever explain the joy, even just write thinking about it. It makes me tear up, but the joy that that the kids and I had and it it was like Everything that night when he came to the church on that Easter vigil was perfect. It was like heaven coming down and touching earth, and it was God's timing. And I remember afterwards coming home at like one thirty or 2 in the morning and going, Lord, <laughs> I... Well, I don't know why I didn't just trust a little more, you know, that, yes, look at this, your timing's perfect. So that's what I would say to, to, to women and to men, to, to just be patient,
3: Jesus, I trust in you, keep praying and living your faith. I love all of this. I I just had a quick question before we kind of dive into our main topic of generosity. I just hear the two of you talking and I just want to say I love I love hearing you talk about your relationship and each other just because it's so it's so filled with love. So I guess my question, my husband and I have been married for like 7 years. We've got two kiddos here on earth and and one little baby in heaven and you know, just the, the day-to-day life. So I guess my question would be, what do you do on a regular basis to keep that kind of young love, kind of starstruck love alive in your relationship?
1: Ooh, okay. I'll, I'll start off with that. Keep dating. That's the first advice I'd say. So when we were met each other and had these sparks flying and we were fascinated with each other, wanted to spend time with each other. So we were trying to, in a sense, woo one another, right? So we would go out on dates. I would cook meals for Margaret. She would do amazing things for me. Why does that have to stop when we're engaged or married? It shouldn't. And in fact, we were very fortunate to have some wonderful, very wise mentors in our lives who said, Keep dating after marriage. And we thought, oh, yeah, whatever. We're going to be together. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. But one of the things they expressed to us is that love is not just a feeling. Yes, we had that euphoric infatuation season. But love in marriage is a decision. There are times where Margaret doesn't feel like loving me. There are times where I don't feel like loving her. But we have to decide to be married. And to decide to be married, we have to do the things that make that love real. And one of those things is we have to spend time together and we have to do so in a way that it's just us. So even when our children were very little and very, you know, had needs and and needed us, we would still, even though we were broke, we would get a little bit of money together. We'd pay more to a babysitter so we could go out on a date. And it may be we just walk around a park because we can't afford to go to dinner at the same time as paying a babysitter. But we would consistently, monthly and, you know, sometimes weekly, we would continue to date one another. And when I think about now that we're empty nesters, our daughter, now Sister Gloria Christie in Nashville, Dominican, our son is off at college. So we, have for the last year and a half now, been empty nesters. If we had not kept dating during that entire time of our children growing up, we would have gotten to the point where our children go off into the world and we're like, who are you? Who's this person that I'm with? So we have prioritized our relationship. And even to the point where, in addition to dating, we always made it clear to our children that our relationship as husband and wife was the most important relationship so that we could help support the fruit of that marriage, which is our children. So we would always have time at the end of or every workday where we would have communication time. And we would sit down either on the couch or somewhere in the house, and we would have focused mommy-daddy time. And the children knew this is not a time to interrupt us. And if they were, you know, we would tell them to leave us alone for this little bit of time. (laughs) Mommy and daddy, we're, we're working on our relationship. And so between our children seeing that ongoing dating, between them realizing that we had to prioritize communication, you know, over the years, as I said earlier, there is no one I would rather spend a minute of time with in the entire world than my best friend, Margaret. And that's why 29 and a half years later, we're more Mm -hmm. in love than the day that we said I do. But it's been, it's it's that intentionality, it's that commitment, it's that ongoing dating, and it's the making the time for one another, prioritizing the relationship.
2: Absolutely. I'll say also, when we were raising our children, I was a stay-at-home mom, and I looked so forward. You know, like, you know, there are days, you know, as a stay-at-home mom that... If the kids are crying or fighting or you know, just things everything's sorta of not going right in the day. <laughs> it can be challenging. But then I had that date and I like I knew I'm like, okay, this has been a challenging day, but it's okay. You know, David and I are gonna get to have our time on Friday night and and I would be thinking about what am I gonna wear? How am I gonna do my hair so I can really look nice for my husband and you know, it was something that I looked forward to and, and that I think was was very important, and also as our kids grew up, important for them mm-hmm. to see how much we loved one another, and that we made that our time together was a priority. Mm-hmm. And, and especially, I mean, from they were the little to when they were teenagers, they saw it modeled in. Our home, so yeah, I think it's really important. And,
1: and just one last quick thought on this: this is not something that's in the past; it's ongoing. Right. So here we are recording this podcast right now, and just yesterday we had a date day together. We <laughs> drove. We live an hour outside of Washington D.C. We drove into Washington. We went to Mass, the National Shrine of the uh, the Basilica in Washington D.C. We went and had lunch together. We went to one of the Smithsonian museums, and we just wandered around the city together. Went to the National Christmas Tree. Because we still love one another and we want to spend time together. So it's very important that it's a lifelong journey of yes. love being a decision and then taking action, investing the time to make that decision come alive and for that love to be vibrant and life giving.
0: David, you have been so prevalent in the pro life movement for so many years in all of the different, you know, organizations that you've helped and that you've been a part of and You've done so much in the pro-life movement, and Margaret seeing you support David through all of that, but I think you you bring up this great point that it was really st- with the intentionality that you both had in your marriage, I think, and because you had that first as a priority and a focus, I've, I get the sense that that's why you've been able to do so many different things in giving of your time, talents, and treasure, especially you know, in your participation in the pro-life movement and all of the work that both of you have done, I think that's a, probably a big part of it. And, But I think it starts with, with both of you and your hearts. Am I in the, on the right track with that?
1: And I would even say, Lisa, so when When I was starting 40 Days for Life, so I had run a local pro-life group, I'd worked in a national pro-life group, and God really convicted my heart and our family's heart that 40 Days for Life was something that we were supposed to start and build. So I quit my job with the national pro-life group on literally a prayer and and time and adoration, and our Lord made it very clear to me that's what He wanted me to do. I quit my job, and so we're starting this new effort. And I could not have done that without the love and the support of Margaret, and of our children. And even during the decade that I led that ministry, we traveled extensively together. And that was one of the things we realized. This is not just a David ministry or endeavor. This is a family ministry, mission, and endeavor. And so essentially, we were missionaries. So for the first few years, we were homeschooling our children And we made the decision that we would all go on the road together. And so we traveled all across the United States. And as it began to grow internationally, our children have been to, I think, 45 states and something like 20 countries. And they went along with us. And there were a lot of challenges in the midst of that, but also a lot of great relationship-building time. And that's where we got to witness so much of the generosity of people involved in the pro-life movement. But it required the generosity of Margaret to say, Our family is going to go and serve others and for our children to realize that even when I don't feel like it, we are going to be at the service of others to help advance this mission. And even when it came to the time where we realized that our children were getting more involved in their co-op and activities and things at home, I was realizing the extent at which we were going was detrimental to our family relationship And we had to scale back quite significantly. But it's just that recognition that our relationship with God is number one, but number two is our marriage and our family. And as a result, our mission will always be something that doesn't take away from, but something that our family can can lean into, can generously give to serve others, but if it's harming our family, we have to really reprioritize. So it was kind of that ongoing discernment about the generosity of where do we invest our time, talent, and treasure individually, but also collectively in our marriage and as a family.
0: With involving your family kind of in in your involvement in the pro-life movement and your ministries, Was teaching your kids generosity like a lesson you had to teach them or was it strictly just through having them, you know, join you in these experiences and watching you, you know, play out your faith in that way? Or was it something you specifically had to be intentional about teaching them or maybe a a mix of both? I mean,
2: I think it was a little bit of a mix of both. Someone gave me this. I'll just give a little example um, of this. Someone gave me this great idea. And so what I did is we when the uh, kids actually right around now, a winter time advent, we would get uh, little brown bags and we would decorate them with Christmas stickers. And we would say, God bless you and Merry Christmas. And then we would put in there like, Vienna sausages and water and fruit snacks and all kinds of things, and we would keep them in our car with us when the kids and I were out and about running around. And then we, when we would see someone who was hungry and someone who was homeless, we would give one of the bags to them. And it was a teaching moment. We d- did that for years. We even did that when we would go into DC. We would go and distribute food. We would be there for the March for Life or something, and. The kids, it really affected them, and they were asking me a lot of questions about why why don't these people have food, and anyway, they were very invested, and especially our son, actually both of them, but our son, he now does that in D.C. He is a student at George Mason University. And he actually is the head of that Work of Mercy. And they go once a month into D.C. and Baltimore. And they just actually, it's what they do is they call them street walks, And they go and just talk with homeless people and just sit and listen to them. And it has been extremely rewarding for him. And he'll tell us stories. And he's so moved by some of the things that these people have said to him, the people he's talking with, that he's, like, moved to tears. Like, he's, you know... <laughs> so choked up about it. And so that is so beautiful and and I I think that David also has been such an example like of of living generosity. So because we took he said we you know we took the kids with us. We all went together as a family when we would travel and the the kids would see him. They would see him giving of himself and pouring out of himself to those on the sidewalks praying and people who needed encouragement. And so he and he also had them speak too, which was so great. Our children. Yeah. So I really think they learned from him so much about being on mission and being a missionary in a sense. And so our daughter, uh, Claire, who's now a Dominican sister, uh, her name is sister Gloria Christie. When she was at University of Virginia in college, she went on a mission trip. It's actually several mission trips. And our son is now looking at going on a mission trip this summer. So it's definitely something that I think David has been such a beautiful example of that for them.
1: Just a couple additional thoughts on that. Margaret, as a homeschooling teacher, really felt that the most important thing we can instill in our children is not just academics and and book skills, but it's faith. And so Margaret really integrated the faith into everything and bringing the liturgical calendar alive in our house and all the different seasons of the church and, and also just the importance of, of virtue and character. And so as a result, Margaret was very much teaching them through great literature and through a, a service that they did together in the midst of their homeschooling, but then also, I think of the old phrase, what you do speak so loudly that what you say I cannot hear. And really, the best way I feel that our children got a heart for generosity of service, so time, talent, and treasure, I think was through seeing the examples not just of, of us on mission, but as we traveled to hundreds of cities and as we saw and worked alongside these very heroic, saintly People in the pro life movement, they saw selflessness, they saw generosity in action, and they saw the fruit of that. They saw lives transformed, they saw lives saved. And I think internally, They wanted that they wanted the blessing of experiencing that, but also the blessing of seeing the transformation they could have in other people's lives. So both of our children have a tremendous heart for service and they give themselves their entire lives. I mean, our daughter's giving her life to service of the church. Right. And our son is very openly discerning the priesthood and you know is is in whatever way studying global affairs, he wants to do some form of ministry and and work in particularly North Africa and Morocco, the Middle East, that region. We have no idea what God's gonna do with them, but their their generosity has come from not only hearing it and, and seeing it in the home and in our life, but being surrounded by those who are living lives of generosity. And I think that for all of us, if if I were to go back and look and say what most affected them, I would say it's them spending time around people who are living out virtuous, holy lives. And that sets an example that they want to follow.
2: Definitely. Can I say one other thing about that, Lisa? <laughs> I think sometimes, Absolutely. thank you. Sometimes, you know, it's easy to kind of like, feel sorry for ourselves or You know, and I remember when I was a young mom, and our daughter, Claire, Sister Lori Christie, was could be very challenging. (laughs) And I was feeling really sorry for myself and claire was little and it wasn't it was she was a baby but she was just she cried for the first three months of her life bless her heart she had terrible tummy issues so she would like cry like all day long <laughs> and it, it was it was just really challenging for me
1: and she was rather strong-willed
2: She's very strong-willed
1: <laughs> wonder where she <laughs> got that from.
2: served her well too but yeah Anyway, so I remember a friend of mine, and I think it's so important to have virtuous friends who are going to be honest with you, too, you know, when you need to hear something. And so I remember from, I'm just kind of complaining and kind of woes me. And she said to me, she said, have you ever thought about taking her, getting out of the house, and just going and serving others? And I was like, oh, <laughs> no, well, <laughs> And so this friend suggested going to a nursing home, and I was like, oh, that's a great idea. So I did. I started doing that every week, and that was one of the best decisions. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, wonderful friend, who didn't sit and just say, oh, I'm so sorry. Let me, you know, thank you, and pushing me out of my comfort zone, right? Well, Claire, first of all, I thought, oh, she's, you know, she and I are going to bless these people. But really what happened is that we were so incredibly blessed. They adored her. Like literally, (laughs) I would dress her up like in hats, like I would dress her to the nines. And they could not get enough of her. They had pictures of her. Like there were multiple rooms, (laughs) in this nursing home in one wing, you know, Claire's picture up in each room. (laughs) They adored her, but I got so much out of it because these amazing people have so much wisdom and so much to offer us. And so I would just sit and listen and learn so much from them. You know, it's like that thing you, when you're giving, what you're really doing is you're getting, you're receiving so much more than what you're giving, right? It's so true. So that
0: was just a huge blessing in our lives. I love everything about that story (laughs) and all of these kind of tangible things that you did with your kids. I think that's so helpful, especially for all the young moms who are listening and and dads and, you know, families who might be listening to this. I think it's so um, important to hear examples of what others have done and how they've kind of inspired generosity within their own families and been a part of communities, because I think sometimes the, the thought of generosity it can be overwhelming to some because it's you know it's one people may not know where to start or or they feel like they have to do so many different big things when really it it's sometimes in these small moments of just saying yes yeah. So do you have any other maybe tangible tips or examples that our listeners could take and consider perhaps to do during Advent with their young kids or their families? What are a couple more ideas maybe that you might have for them?
1: For each of us to understand that there are areas that God has has really prepositioned us to be able to serve others— and he he wires each of us differently. And when I you know I have a lot of young people who come to me, a lot of young leaders asking for mentorship and and a lot of what I try to help them with is to figure out what's the the mission or what are the the causes that God wants them uniquely involved in and not that I have all the answers to that, but a lot of what I've come to realize is it's it's kind of a, a constellation of a few things that all overlap and and this is what the, I would just say is a discernment process to say where. Can and should we engage, whether it be just as a short term Advent type project or during the Lenten season or or maybe as a mission that your family can be directly involved in. So number one is what are your passions? So what is it that you love? What brings you joy? But also, what are you passionate about because you have heartbreak? In that area. So, the reason that I felt led to get involved in the pro life movement was because I was heartbroken when Planned Parenthood opened an abortion facility in the town where we used to live in Texas. So, that heartbreak was really one of the instigating factors. I had a passion for the mothers who were being wounded, I had a passion for the children who were at risk of dying, and I had a passion for what the Christian community can do in response to this challenge, because I believe that we are called as believers to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves and to rescue those being led to the slaughter. So that first step is just look around and say, where does my heart ache or where does it break? Where do I find joy? Where do I have a passion? So that's, that's kind of cluster number one. Cluster number two is, what are you good at? There are some things that I'm absolutely terrible at. In fact, a lot of things I'm absolutely terrible at. But are there things that throughout my life I've started to see, oh, here's where I have a skill. Here's where I have a talent. Here's where I've had experience. Here's where, whether I've gotten my education or whatever it is. But what is the, the kind of the life pattern that God has shown me about the things that I'm good at? Because if you use the things that you're good at to address something that you're passionate about, you start to see some real kind of traction developing there. And then the third cluster, and again, these are just questions that we can use for discernment, and then I'll let Margaret maybe address some some more practical examples of of living this out in the family. But the third step of it is, what is it that the world most needs? So there are a lot of things I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about Italian sports cars, but... A, I can't afford one, and B, that's not going to really make any positive change in the world. Drat. And also, I'm not good at driving at 200 miles an hour. So, you know, that one would fall (laughs) off the the discernment consideration. So if you say, what am I passionate about? What am I good at? And what does the world most need? Kind of that, if you looked at like a Venn diagram, where those circles overlap, that could be what God is trying to tell you. So for my discernment of why the pro-life movement and why I've been involved in it full-time for 20 years— leading a local organization, and then working in a national group and starting and building 40 Days for Life. And even these last few years, as I've been advising and helping other organizations to grow and flourish and and achieve more impact and mentoring leaders, for me, it's What am I passionate about? Why mothers, children, I'm passionate about Christians putting their faith into action. I'm heartbroken about what abortion does to mothers, to children, the harm it causes society. So that's kind of that cluster. What am I good at? Well, I'm good at communication. Spoken communication primarily is a gift that God has given me. I'm good at rallying people and uh, leading them to take action. I'm good at marketing and technology. I'm good at fundraising. So those are things I can bring to bear. And what does the world most need? Well, as we've seen just over this last few weeks, as abortion has come to the forefront of the national discussion here in the United States of America and around the world, this really is a crucial time for people to say, how can I make a difference to protect more mothers, to save more children? And in this shifting landscape, whether the Dobbs case or another vehicle actually overturned Roe versus Wade and the the subsequent decisions, this is a really crucial time. So you can see how those three circles kind of all align and point to why I have continued to be involved in the pro-life movement for 20 years. But our children may have a different approach to that. Our daughter, her gifts were spiritual life her passions were religious life and she since 7th grade was discerning a religious vocation and you know what 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 is she good at she's great at communicating teaching working with young people which her order will do she's really really good at having empathy and care for people and kind of nurturing them along and what does the world need well the world needs Jesus so you can see how her life aligns. And our son, we could do the same exercise. But those are kind of some broad principles that I would think through. And then, Margaret, maybe you can give a couple examples of some practical things.
2: Yeah. David, that was great. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. (laughs) That was really cool. Yes. So David had said earlier that we really tried to celebrate the different... um, Feast days and really live the liturgical calendar in our church. We tried to be the domestic church. Again, another friend really shared that with me and my mother and my parents and my father as well. So I'm very grateful for that. So, Advent is a really great time for this, right? Uh, so, I'm going to tell you something actually that happened this week and then I'll go back with another story. But this week, well, I work um, at a wonderful place called Mary Shelter in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And Mary Shelter, we have a series of homes that we house women who are homeless and who are in a crisis pregnancy. And I'm so blessed. I have been there for a year. We're empty nesters now, so it's, yeah, so it's really fun. And so this week we celebrated in the Catholic Church, St. Nicholas Feast Day. So I got to go one morning early, (laughs) and on behalf of Mary Shelter, I got to deliver to each one of the women some bags that I'd put together with all kinds of little goodies, you know, gold coins, candy canes, but also some like makeup and lotions and then some gifts for their children and their babies. And I got to go and deliver them to each one of the. So one of the moms in particular, she's a young and she just literally just moved into Mary's shelter a few days ago. And she is in a very, very, very difficult, very tough situation, a really heartbreaking situation. And so She, when I came into her early this morning, I came into her apartment and I... And and, oh, this was so great too. I got to evangelize because I got to tell each one of these women because our women come from all faith backgrounds. And, you know, but I got to share. So, this one woman, I got to share with her who St. Nicholas was. This is his feast day, things that we do as Catholics to celebrate. I just wanted you to know. And I had like holy cards of St. Nicholas and stickers of St. Nicholas in there too, and for the babies. And anyway, and so you, I cannot express her smile on her face. Like she got the biggest smile on her face like I think that I've ever seen and she just wrapped her arms around me and gave me the biggest hug and said thank you so much Miss Margaret you don't even know how much this means to me I I can't even say thank you enough I mean she was just on cloud nine and you know I just thought wow like there's nothing better than that right (laughs) I mean there's nothing better than that. So." So then taking that idea and now thinking about when my children were little growing up, again, I got this from another woman. I love stealing good ideas from other mothers. And so we celebrated the feast days. So one of the things that we did, because we want to obviously promote the pro-life culture to our children, is we celebrated the Immaculate Conception for years in, in a certain way. So what we did is, so I'll give you an example. I did this actually in Texas, but also in Virginia with, at Mary Shelter. But in Texas, I'll give you this. It was just amazing. So I contacted the uh, pro-life director at one of the Catholic churches where we were living in Texas. And she put me in touch with through the, it was called the Gabriel Project in our diocese. And she put me in touch with this young woman who was in great need. And so Claire and Patrick were little, but they drew pictures and wrote little cards of encouragement. And then we went and she told me all the different things, items that this woman needed. So then we went and purchased them together as a family Well, this, she actually ended up having the baby early. And so this whole time I had been communicating with her and, you know, sharing with her, we had some things we wanted to to give to her. Well, she had the baby early. So she ends up having the baby on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. And she had the baby that morning. Well, she wanted us to come. We actually came to the hospital and saw her that day evening that she had the baby on the Feast of the Immaculate Conception and David came with us and we all went together to her room and she's in there by herself and we just shower on her all these gifts and these cards they had made and she just started crying and, she, you know, it was just beautiful. It was the Holy Spirit, right? The, only the Holy Spirit could orchestrate that, right? So, is that going to happen every time? No. But it did that year, and it made such an impression on my children, too. And then we got to talk about that. Like, what did we learn from that? Like, how did you feel when you saw how thankful she was for your, for your generosity and for your cards that you made. You took your time and your talent to make those little cards, you know, and all the things we gave her. So praise God. And so, yeah, so that's what I would say is to, to live the domestic church in your homes and look for ways that you can serve the body of Christ and do that around feast days, December 6th and December 8th. Those are or December 12th or Lady Guadalupe. Those are great times to serve others. And you know what? Maybe it's a mom saying, oh, I have like five little kids and I can't, you know, but you know what you could do? You can call up the local shelter. You can call up the Gabriel project and you can say, is there a mom and some children that really need like special prayers right now? And they'll let you know. I promise you, they will let you know. Call us at Mary's shelter (laughs) and, and, and then pray, say the rosary or say a prayer or offer up when you're having a really challenging day for that mom who's in that crisis pregnancy or in that homeless shelter.
1: Lisa and Rebecca, could I possibly just add one quick summary of Margaret brought up Mary Shelter because I think it's so instructive about generosity and particularly as it relates to the pro-life movement. Is that okay?
3: Absolutely. Of course.
1: Mary Shelter was started by uh, a woman named Kathleen Wilson and a few other women in our community. And it was started 15 years ago because they saw the abortion rate was high in our town and they realized there's a need to come alongside women amidst a crisis pregnancy, but also after the child was born. And in the pro-life movement, we're often accused of, you don't even care about the child after the child is born. Well, Mary Shelter dispels that myth. So early on... We got to know Kathleen, we saw the ministry and we helped out with you know went to a couple of the fundraising small gatherings they did. And we have watched this ministry blossom to where they now have, is it five homes and
2: Well, we have enough we have enough housing for sixteen women and their children and we are looking or we're purchased another home. So we just found that out. It's very, very exciting. Mm -hmm.
1: So the beautiful thing is watching in our community as hundreds and hundreds of Christians across faith traditions, I will say a large percentage of them are Catholic Christians, coming alongside and saying, we want to walk with these mothers. We want to walk with these children. So anytime Kathleen has a need, diapers, boom, instantly they get diapers. (laughs) A family that needs coats, boom, they instantly get it. Yes. And as we've watched this ministry grow and seeing so many of these mothers' lives transformed, it's not just about saving the baby, but it's also about helping these mothers completely renew their lives and some of them beginning faith journeys and some of them finding jobs or finishing education and being able to go out and become nurses and all these other things. It's beautiful to watch what that generosity yields. But what has really been moving for Margaret, her role is... Going back to those different questions, Margaret has many gifts, and one of Margaret's greatest gifts is the gift of encouragement, and she's a great cheerleader, as you can tell from our conversation here. <laughs> so when Kathleen asked Margaret in this empty nesting season, hey, Margaret, would you come in and be a mentor and a cheerleader for these mothers and for their children, Margaret has just d- dove into that and has really been a great encourager and helper in and, and working with the mothers. My role is very different. So I serve on the board of directors of Mary Shelter. I am not as equipped to deal with the kind of the messiness although I sometimes go with Margaret to repair toilets and do other <laughs> things that need to be done. True. (laughs) But I'm just not I I just am not quite as equipped to be that listener and mentor along the way with these mothers and the patients to deal with. They're overcoming so much physical abuse, sexual abuse and and so many so much much baggage that we can't even imagine. But I can bring my experience of how do you grow a nonprofit organization? How do you define your mission and your messaging and what are your strategies and, and how do you do this? And so a number of years back, Mary Shelter was always kind of going, you know, month to month and on a shoestring budget. And I suggested to Mary Shelter, hey, what if you did an annual banquet? And so this was more than 10 years ago. We did the first annual banquet and it brought in like $78,000. And then the next year it brought in more and then it brought in more. And then when COVID hit, they had to go to doing some online fundraising. And so I was talking to the director, Kathleen, the other day about the ministry. And she was just talking about the amazing generosity of the community. And she said, yeah, we were just thinking through you know, our most generous supporters of Mary Shelter And you and Margaret are right at the top of the list. And I said, Kathleen, we don't have the capacity to give it anywhere near the level of other people. And she said, oh, wait, think of how much you have helped to bring in for Mary shelter. And she tallied it up. It was well over a million dollars. Not from our pocket, but by encouraging and using our gifts to invite others to give. So as we think about, you know, how can we in the pro-life movement, how can we in our faith life, how can we during this Advent season be generous? Some of that is directly how do we give of our time, talent, and treasure but also by living that example of generosity and by inviting others to also be generous and by helping them to see the beautiful gifts and blessings of being generous, we can help them experience those blessings and we can share what God has taught us about generosity, and see that multiply and have an effect far beyond what we could do individually or just our family. So think about generosity from what is God asking of me personally? What is God asking of our family? And how can we invite others to be generous? And together, we can be a part of saving lives, changing hearts and minds, rebuilding, renewing our communities, and literally changing the course of history and building God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven.
3: All of that is so powerful. I I had two thoughts during everything that you just shared, David. And the first was, what an example that this organization is to the argument that a lot of anti-life people have, where they say, "Oh, you just care about about the baby, and that's it, and you just want to just want to get these babies born, and and then you're going to walk away and and leave the these families just in the dust." Clearly. As as example here, you know we we don't do that as pro-lifers. We we believe in in supporting life from from beginning to end, and it's such an example. And I know there's so many other houses and organizations similar to that across the country. So that's amazing, and and to be a part of that is is I don't know. It's just special, like you said. And the other thing that I am just in awe of is the this idea that you keep coming back to, of. You know, everybody has different talents, skills and abilities. Obviously, we're knit together by God with unique unique things that we get to do and passions and then those God-given talents because of what what fuels us. And how that is that is a great example of being the hands and feet of Christ because, you know, you need more than more than just an encourager. You need somebody in the background doing doing the other work so I just I'm an I'm in awe of, of that and that reminder is so important so I'm going to shift a little bit and go back, kind of at the beginning of the episode. Margaret said something that she was very attracted to your heart, David, for generosity. So, where do you think that kind of heart for generosity first came from? And then, Margaret, I follow up question to that would just be, um, how you know, did you already have that kind of heart for generosity, and that's what attracted you, or or was it kind of David's heart that? Rubbed off on you, and you guys are clearly working very, very well and in concert with each other. I'm just interested to see how that fueled over the years.
1: I was blessed to be raised in a wonderful Christian home. My mom and dad loved one another. We went to church every Sunday, and so in that environment, it helped to foster an understanding of the importance of faith and what does that faith call us to do. So my parents were incredibly generous, not only to the church, but in service and, and helping others. And then I grew up in Boy Scouts and uh, you know during that season, and I know Boy Scouts has changed quite a bit, regrettably, but it was a very service-oriented organization. And as I worked my way up to Eagle Scout, I had to do a lot of service projects. And then when I got to college, and realized that a lot of my greatest life learning would come not through the classroom, but through the involvement in extracurricular activities all the activities I chose to get involved in were service activities, whether it would be, you know, the freshman orientation program, fish camp that Margaret and I met through, where we would help freshmen kind of navigate this crazy leap from high school to college, and it's scary, and I was terrified during that, so helping them with that. Or I served on a committee called Aggie Muster, which was all about honoring those uh, Aggies, Texas A&M students, who had lost their lives in the previous year and, and really helping their families to navigate through this. So a lot of the activities that I was involved Involved in, were service oriented. And then when I got into the workforce, my degree was in biomedical science. I thought I was going to go into veterinary medicine. Then I realized, no, I could just have a cat and that would satisfy the animal lover in me. So we have a cat today. And but but I finally realized that I wanted to do something to serve people. So I went into the pharmaceutical industry. I sold pharmaceuticals and I always viewed it as helping people live healthier lives, but then when I felt the call to get into pro-life work, that was really a, I won't call it a complete death to self, because we're all human, we all have sinful, selfish ambitions and motives in in anything we do, even as we struggle to strive for, for humility and holiness in the midst of our journey, but it was all about someone else is in need, I have gifts, talents, and experiences that can help that person in need, and though I can't help solve every problem in the world, there's something that's right before me, and kind of like Nehemiah, you know, building the piece of the wall right in front of your house, it's something I can do to be of service right now. So it was kind of just throughout the whole life that I've gotten that, you know, continual heart for it. I'm certainly not perfect at it, and I still have a long way to go, but the the last thought I have is that the people that I admire the most— the role models in my life from both my personal, you know, my parents were both heroes of mine. Obviously, Margaret is a hero of mine. Our children are heroes of mine. But even those I admired from a distance, inevitably, they were people who lived lives of service. And as I looked, I said, that's what I want to be. I want to be a person who is generous and who knows, loves, and serves God through serving others generously of their time, talent, and treasure. And that's kind of just how God has really pulled me closer towards him throughout my life journey up to this point.
2: I would say for me, I was just incredibly blessed to grow up in just a wonderful Catholic home. My parents were. Great examples of always really helping those in need around us in our parish. My my dad has uh, since passed away, and he, I just remember when I was a little girl, <laughs> anyone who need, he loved to work on cars, and he's really good with cars, and anyone who needed help with their cars, he was there helping and doing, you know, we had like several elderly women who lived on our street. And they were widows, and he would go and help them. He would help them with their cars. He would help them fix, you know, appliances. He would, he was always there, always doing that. And the other, the other lesson that my parents taught me was just really living that pro life commitment. And they made that very clear to us how important that was. We as a family would donate our time at the local pro life office, even if it was, you know, licking envelopes and stuffing envelopes, you know, for a fundraising dinner or, you know, that kind of thing. And then we also went and we did stand and pray. We would go pray. At that time in Corpus, there was one abortion clinic left in Corpus Christi, Texas. And we would go, and I remember I was in high school, and we would, they would wake me up like at 6 a.m. in the morning, and I, as a teenager, didn't like that very much, (laughs) But we would go as a family every Saturday morning and pray in front of that abortion center. And that abortion center actually ended up closing down. There are no abortion centers in, in Corpus Christi, Texas, none. So, But my parents really lived that and taught us by example of the importance of giving your your time in that way for a greater cause, something outside yourself more important. So that was really beautiful, and I appreciate so much that they did. And so then I think David, when I met David, he reminded me a lot of my father with such a generous spirit about him. And I just had... Even before I met him, I when I was thinking about a husband, I remember thinking I really want someone who's like my dad, who's service oriented, who's so generous with his time, talent, and treasure. So I and I saw obviously immediately saw that in David, and so that that's always been really important to me and very important to me to to in, to teach our children the same thing, to
0: teach our children to be that way. Well, that's just so beautiful overall. I think that. When we think of generosity, as Christians, it really starts with our faith and, you know, putting into practice. And, you know, it's like you said, David, that our actions are really speaking louder than our words. And it's through that day-to-day serving others and giving of our time, talent, and treasure that generosity really comes to light, but it's who we are. And I think it comes from that intention in our heart first, instead of, you know, kind of waiting for an organization to come and do the work for us. Or, you know, I think it it starts with those little moments. And I love the examples that you've shared of kind of your upbringing and from your parents, even, and, and especially Margaret of your father, of just how that tied into, you know, when you met David, that really spoke to you of his heart and reminding you of kind of the upbringing that you had. And so I think a lot of the the blessing of generosity, it, it starts with us. And then we get to instill that in our kids through our actions and through the different, you know, ministries that we get to be a part of and offering, you know, like you said, David, of just figuring out what are our passions and what are the ways that we can serve. So it's just amazing to to hear your stories and hear how generosity has played such a big part. I, when I lived in Virginia, I actually attended one of the Mary Shelter annual fundraisers and David spoke and it was just amazing. Actually, as you talk about it, I'm thinking back on Seeing your talent, David, for speaking, for fundraising, for, you know, all of your talents that you have and utilizing those to support various ministries, I think it really is so impactful that, you know, sometimes we may not... Personally, have the finances to fund a new building, but what we can do is utilize what we do have, and maybe that's our time, or maybe it's our talents, um, and our treasure if we are able. So I love these examples and just hearing your hearts for each other and hearts for generosity and how that has really come into play in your family. I think it's so encouraging for our listeners.
1: Well, thank you, and and I would just say as a closing thought, a verse that Margaret and I lean on very heavily is. To whom much is given, much is required. And we have been so richly blessed in so many different ways through our faith through where we live, through the children God has blessed us with, the marriage that we have, the the friends, the relationships, the life experiences. And if God has given us so much, we feel like in the parable of the talents, you know, one got the one talent, the five talents, and the ten talents, we feel like we've been given 50 talents, right? <laughs> and we feel like to whom much is given, much is required. If we've been this richly blessed, then we need to multiply what God has given us in service of his people and in service of others and in the same way i would say to the person listening right now wherever you're at whatever's going on in your life if you go back with an eye of gratitude and say where has god blessed me if i have a family where you know has he blessed our family and sit there and and really reflect, maybe in adoration, on the blessings that God has given you and then say, to whom much is given, much is required. What does God want me to do with what he has given me that can serve others, and how can I generously invest my time, my talent, and my treasure into helping to share those blessings with others? And when you do that— It is more blessed to give than to receive, but in giving, we receive so much more, so much joy, so much peace, so much Mm. richness of blessing, of knowing that we are a tiny little part of God's will and seeing the lives transformed around us. So to whom much is given, much is required, and give, and in the process of that, you will receive.
0: Thank you so much. That's just all around, such a blessing, so inspiring and uplifting. So glad that we had you guys on this episode. Where can people go to find out more about what you're up to and connect with you? Perhaps, Margaret, you could share where people can go to support Mary Shelter and and even pray for them and what they're doing.
2: Yes, thank you so much, uh, Lisa, for saying that. I really appreciate that. So, Mary Shelter, we have a website. And it is Mary's Shelter, VA.org. And there's no, it's M-A-R-Y-S-S, you know, and then H-E-L-T-E-R, VA.org. And we, we also, I just wanted to say one quick other thing about Mary's Shelter. It's such, it's such a beautiful, amazing place. So our residents can live up to Mary's Shelter for three years, which is pretty incredible. Most places are not like that, most shelters. And they can bring their children with them. They get their own room. Our homes are immaculate and we're teaching them life skills. We're teaching them, we're helping them to get jobs and to especially further education. We're really big on that. So it's just, it's a huge blessing to be a part of the staff there at Mary's Shelter. But yeah, so please come and check us out and please pray for us. Or if you want to call, I can give you a name of someone you can be praying for. Or, but yeah, thank you so much for asking, Lisa.
1: Well, and Mary Shelter is a nationally recognized maternity ministry. The director, Kathleen, has spoken at the National March for Life in Washington, D.C. She and the organization have helped to spawn many other maternity ministries, yes. not only across Virginia, but around the country. And in fact, if anyone is coming to the Washington, D.C. March for Life on January 21st in 2022, you will hear from the stage one of the Mary Shelter residents sharing her testimony. So it's really beautiful to see these stories inspiring people, and particularly at a time where we need to recognize that if and when abortion is overturned at the Supreme Court, it comes back to the States, and I know that's a, a USA-centric uh, focus on things, but we need to be doing more to assist mothers and protecting children in our local communities, in our states, than we ever have been. So check out Mary Shelter, Inspiring Ministry, and then if you just want to connect with David and Margaret B. Wright, our last name is a mispronounced German word, and it's spelled B-E-R-E-I-T, and we have a simple website, literally one page, set up at org. so that's B-E-R-E-I-T.org. And you can connect with us there, and we actually get those messages that come in directly. So if you want to share a prayer request, if you have a question to follow up on anything we've talked about, we consider it a blessing and an honor to be able to connect with you and to be able to help answer your questions and just build a relationship with you. So BeRight.org for us personally, or Shelterva.org for the work of Mary Shelter.
2: Also, Lisa, if any of your listeners know of someone, know of a mom who is pregnant and who is homeless, please, please have them feel free to go on our website and connect with us. And we we have women from all over, not just in Virginia, but we have women from all over come and come to us at Mary Shelter.
0: Gosh, well, this is all just so amazing. Thank you so much for all of that. I really encourage all of our listeners to uh, go to both of these websites and hold David and Margaret in your prayers as well as they continue their generosity and all of the work and ministries they're involved in. But also continue to pray for the ministry of Mary Shelter. And I highly recommend you to attend the March for Life in actually next month in January. So Thank you so much for your time. We're so glad to have both of you on. Uh, This was such an amazing and incredible episode, and we're just so grateful for both of you. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Rebecca. Thank Thank you, you, Lisa. God bless you. Thank you,
0: Rebecca. Thank you, Lisa. Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode all the way through. I hope it's given you a fresh take on generosity and inspired you with some fresh ideas on how you can live more generously, especially in this season of Advent as we prepare our hearts for Christmas and the ultimate gift of Jesus's birth. As I said earlier, LifeSite has kicked off our end-of-year fundraiser this week, so just a final reminder that if this episode has inspired you to give of your treasure, uh, I highly encourage you to support this media platform, which provides you and millions of people around the world with an alternate and traditional news source. So I encourage you to consider a gift of support today so that our mission to bring truth to the world can continue. You can visit give.lifesitenews.com to make a donation of any amount today. Once again, I'm Lisa Stover, and I hope you'll join us next week for another special episode on Advent and how we can live the liturgical calendar more practically in our homes with our kids through this season of Advent. So until then, I hope you all have a great week.